Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo, as always, bringing you the latest on East Carolina athletics, recruiting, everything. We've got plenty to talk about on this edition of the Hoist the Colors podcast. We've got some recruiting, huge recruiting weekend on campus for East Carolina. We've got baseball talk. We've got basketball. Men's have a new head coach, Mike Schwartz. He'll be on the job this week. We'll briefly touch on that. And we're also going to start a new segment and introduce the poster segment. We've talked about this uh, in previous podcasts and on the Hoist Colors message boards. Well, you guys have been posting under your usernames for, for quite some time on HTC. You know, we started the site in 2010. We've been with 24-7 Sports since 2012. We've built, built quite a following. And uh, today we will introduce our first poster on the podcast, he is Butner Pirate 25, and we will get to know him, his background, what led him to become an ECU fan, become a member of Voice to Color. So we'll talk to him later in the show to wrap things up. First, I want to let you guys know if you're a listener to the podcast and you have not subscribed yet to Hoist the Colors, I, I can't I can't recommend enough. If you're going to subscribe, if you've been on the fence about subscribing, now is the time. 50% off an annual subscription and you know we do offer some some other deals throughout the year but I guarantee you this is one of the lowest rates you'll find and this offer expires on Tuesday night at midnight if you're listening to this podcast on Wednesday or whatnot and you're like man I just missed it send me a private message I'll hook you up but try to get in Tuesday by midnight if you're if you're not a subscriber if you're a new subscriber or if you're a monthly subscriber and you want to save some money you can upgrade to annual. If you got any questions, just message me and I'll help you guys out. But tons of recruiting content coming out of this weekend. We got basically VIP articles, uh, three or four each of the past two days just on recruiting, feedback from recruits. And I've, I've continued to talk to prospects and continue to get their reactions. And I'll continue to have that over the coming days. Um, just a monster weekend at Daddy Ficklin Stadium. The team, of course, going through spring practice, but a huge junior day with 50 or so prospects, many of those holding scholarship offers. So uh, read all about that on Hoist the Colors. We also had some scoop on an official visit, a whole lot more. So join now, 50% off on HTC through Tuesday at midnight. Uh, quick quick notes uh, on the recruiting weekend, kind of before I get into your questions, and also we'll talk about the baseball situation as well as the Pirates. Drop two or three to College Charleston. Uh, but one of the, the big things that I noticed from the weekend was the, the quarterbacks on campus, specifically two notable guys. There were several prospects from Georgia, but a couple of guys who I really got good feedback with, uh, Dylan Whitkey from Buford High School in Georgia, arguably the best high school program in the state. And also another really good program at Westlake in Atlanta, R.J. Johnson, the quarterback there. These two guys made the trip from Georgia, both coming to Greenville for the first time. And so many of these prospects from Georgia, I talked to several guys from Charlotte. The Pirates also had a, a couple of four-stars in for the 2024 class and also had a couple of offered guys for the 2023 class in from Charlotte as well. And... I thought that, you know, this the feedback I got from this junior day was as good as I've gotten from top to bottom from all the recruits I'm talking to in years. And I think a lot of it surrounds not only Mike Houston's vision for the program and 
you know, what they've done with Town Bake Tower and some of the, the renovations inside the locker room and inside Ward Sports Medicine Building. But just finally we have that that winning success to kind of sell. You're coming off a seven-win season. There's positive momentum around the program. Several of these 2023 guys are saying, hey, I'm starting to hear a lot about ECU. Wanted to check it out, see what it's all about. And wow, I'm blown away. And that is that's kind of their reaction. It's amazing how many of these guys I talk to, in-state kids, kids from neighboring states like South Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, that just they come on the visit and they just say, wow, I, I just did not know that this place was this serious about football. I didn't know the stadium was this, this big. And, and I don't know if that's just the the all the bias these guys hear from their local market. You know, East Carolina is obviously not going to be the story in Georgia. Uh, they're not the story in Charlotte, uh, despite it being in the same state more times than not. And I just think there's such a lack of awareness out there about Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, the passion, how beautiful the campus is. And once kids get here, it makes such a big difference. And this staff has done a really good job. No commitments yet for the 2023 class. They could probably push for some if they wanted to, but they want to be really selective with their roster. Really taking shape, but I thought ECU made great progress with the quarterbacks, Wiki and Johnson. Uh, also, several offensive linemen came back really impressed. You had the kids from Charlotte, who I think ECU is going to be in the running for going into the 2024 class. So just a ton of positive feedback. Again, check that out on hoistthecolors.net. All right, baseball, ECU drops two of three to the College of Charleston. Again, we talked about it all season long. This schedule is brutal, and there are no let-ups in the schedule. And unfortunately for ECU, they're struggling right now with consistency. They're struggling to kind of find the the rhythm they've been missing. And, you know, it's just every every year a team takes on a new life. And it's just felt like, for whatever reason, this year's team has just kind of felt off-kilter from that Carson Wisenhunt situation in, in the preseason. You know, he was an All-American, preseason All-American, expected to be your anchor and I just feel like the, the the team is really missing that five to seven innings you're going to get on a Friday night from Wisenhunt or just whoever. And I know Jake Kuchmaner has been better lately in terms of that, but Kuchmaner realistically is more of a Saturday or Sunday guy. ECU's missing that horse at the front of his rotation that sets the tone, that saves innings for the rest of the bullpen. And instead, other guys are being asked to step up in Wisenhunt's absence. And some guys have stepped up. Other guys have failed to step up, especially on a consistent basis. And that's one of the reasons we're seeing starting pitching really struggle right now. Uh, also, on that note, Josh Moreland was a returning freshman All-American, batted 310 last year, drew a lot of walks, hit for some power, was expected to be a middle-of-the-order guy. We all expected him to kind of take that next step. Hey, let's go from a six-homer guy or eight-homer guy to a double-digit homer guy improve his numbers, hit in the middle of the order. And it's said that just hasn't happened. The opposite has happened. He wasn't with the team this weekend in Charleston. Got a question about that in a little bit I'll answer. But that's two preseason All-Americans that you were expected to lean on. And here we are, 20 games in, you have three hits from Moreland, and Wisenhunt has not pitched in a single game and will not pitch all year long. And not many programs in America can overcome either guys underperforming like that or guys just either getting injured or being kicked off the team or being suspended for whatever reason. So it's just been kind of a snake bit season thus far for ECU. The good news is 10 and 10, not where you want to be, but you're another five, six game winning streak or, you know, seven out of eight spurt from really getting back to where, you know, maybe not where you want to be in the end, end of the season, but back into a good spot, I would say, for postseason play. Again, this schedule is so loaded that, Yes, ECU's already lost three series. You know, the Bryant series looking like a pretty bad series loss. I think they had only won two or three games since beating ECU early in the season. That's the one you look back at and kind of shake your head at. And, you know, the Charleston series, Charleston's always a quality team. They've been down the last several years compared to what they used to be when they were a, you know, consistent regional top 25 caliber team. But still, that's not a bad series loss to go on the road and lose two out of three. You know, you lose two out of three to a top 25 UNC team, not a bad series loss. Uh, so you don't have many black marks on your resume. You just don't have those wins that you're used to seeing at ECU. And you do have that really good weekend that we, we kind of all saw it come together in the Keith LeClaire Classic, where you sweep Indiana State, Michigan, and Maryland, three quality opponents who could be in regional play come postseason. 
So we know what this team is capable of doing when it executes, but I think that's the issue is just there there's not that star power on this team, that Connor Norby, that Thomas Francisco, who maybe if you have a guy thrown out in the bases or if you have a guy who doesn't execute the bunt or can't get the runner home from third with less than two outs, you know, you don't have Connor Norby to pick you up with a, you know, two out, two run jack or uh, you don't have Francisco picking you up with a two-out RBI single or a two-out RBI double, and you don't have Seth Cadell hitting the ball out of the ballpark. So this team, a little bit down on power. They've given up more home runs than they've hit, which is something we usually don't see from ECU pitching. They've made way too many outs on the base pass. They've, uh, after starting the season pretty good from a free pass perspective, have, have struggled in terms of giving up free passes and two-out hits in recent games, which has led to some big numbers by opponents. And you know, it's just kind of a tough spot right now. They just can't seem to find that takeoff point to where, hey, let's let's reel off kind of that winning streak we're used to and keep it going from there. You know, they did it with the six-game spurt and then have fallen on hard times again, kind of starting with that old Dominion game. Um, you know, they took two out of three from St. Mary's but lost in tough fashion against ODU, which would have been a quality win, and then it's kind of – multiplied from there in these last few games so it doesn't get any easier this week five game week at uncw which is off to a good start always tough on the road elon which is a quality opponent at home on wednesday and then three games against a regional team from last year in virginia commonwealth inside clark Claire stadium this weekend so no easy days ahead for cliff goblin's team this game will challenge you it's challenging everybody you know cliff goblin obviously frustrated he we know more than anything he hates losing, and I'm sure this is wearing on him a little bit. He's trying to find the right answers. He's still got a really young team, still got talent. This this is a postseason caliber roster, even without Wisenhunt and even with Moylan, you know, potentially not in the lineup or whatnot. It's just, you know, you're still searching for kind of that, that consistency, that leadership, um, and we'll see as the season goes along. Does this team find its identi- identity ultimately? Right now, I still think they're missing that. I still think they're trying to find that. They're 20 games in out of a 56-game regular season, so 36 games to go. Galvin said after Sunday's game, you know, it's still early, but the time is now, and I think we'll continue to see uh, the Pirates continue to make some lineup changes or pitching changes until they kind of find the right combination going forward. So those are some thoughts on baseball. Uh Excited about the the arrival of Mike Schwartz, the Tennessee associate head coach, will now become the official ECU men's basketball coach in the coming days. Actually, already is. He will arrive in the coming days. I'm hearing Tuesday or Wednesday for his arrival from Knoxville to Greenville, North Carolina. He'll get boots on the ground, really get started firsthand, set up shop, and go from there. Um, so Mike Schwartz, a sooner than expected arrival, I would say. I don't think... You know, it's, it's March Madness. Upsets happen. But I don't think many people had Tennessee losing in the second round. They get tripped up by Michigan. And a good sign or a good thing for ECU that allows Mike Schwartz to become the full-time ECU coach sooner uh, in mid-March rather than having to wait till the Final Four in early April. So, you know, tough tough out for Schwartz and Tennessee. I know they put a lot of work into that thing. But for ECU's sake, it's probably a good thing that He's here full-time, can start working on retaining this roster and start to put a plan together for what guys he wants to go into in the portal and all sort of stuff. So I think every day this time of year, as more and more guys enter the portal, it's a crucial time for Pirate basketball. Uh, Spring football, things are going well. They're a week into spring. As I talked to you on Monday night, we'll be out there again Tuesday for the fifth workout of spring camp. We've had interviews with Mike Houston, Noah Henderson, who's having a really good spring, and also Malik Fleming thus far. We'll continue to bring you practice reports on that. And as we get more into the scrimmages, we'll have more about who, what players are looking good, what players are struggling. We have injury reports, who's lining up where, who looks good physically, all that sorts of stuff in our practice reports and um, you know things we're hearing and whatnot. So definitely another reason to subscribe to VIP on Hoist the Colors. All right, let's get to some of these questions so the show doesn't last forever, and we'll dive right into it. Okay, our first question comes from Brett. Oliverio, he is the owner of Sup Dogs, a uh, great spot in town, so definitely check that out. Also, right beside Stop Shop, where you can find the one and only Scott Igo, brother of yours truly. So go check them out 
over on Fifth Street. All right, Brett wants to know, do you expect Tristan Newton to stick around with the new coach? That's the that's the topic right now. Um, I think I get that question once daily, at least once daily, uh, on Hoist the Colors, the message boards. And, you know, I just don't know. I've heard talk that Tristan Newton and, and Joe Dooley have spoken about, hey, if I go here, you know, I'm following you, coach. If you go there, whatnot. You know, Steve Rockefeller, who recruited Newton to ECU as an assistant under Dooley, he's now an assistant at Texas A&M. Newton is from El Paso, Texas. That kind of concerns me if I'm ECU. I'm sure that Coach Rock is in his family's ear. I mean, now that Dooley's gone, he's not going to have any allegiance to uh, keep Newton at ECU or whatnot. So there, there's a, and there's more. There's more teams in Texas when Dooley was here that were already hitting up Newton's parents or his AAU coach to try and sway him. So to be determined, I wish I had more of an answer, but right now I think we'll find out, and we'll know in a week or two. If he's not in the portal in a few weeks, as so many guys enter the portal with a ton of attention, I think that's a good sign for ECU. But to be determined right now, I don't have an answer one way or the other. John Moody wants to know, will ECU hoops be in an MTE multi-team event next season? So that's what ECU was in, for those unfamiliar with MTE. Um, that's what ECU was in this past week, or this past year, excuse me, in Myrtle Beach. And you know, played Oklahoma, played Old Dominion, got some quality opponents in, played Davidson. The plan under Coach Dooley was they would be in an MTE. I don't know if that got signed off on and impro- and approved. If so, ECU may already be locked in, and, and the answer will be yes. But with the coaching change, you know, not sure of the status of those contracts. I do know that ECU under Dooley was actually sending over games for the non-conference next year to get approved and the administration was not approving them towards the end of his tenure which I think gave Dooley the impression that he was not going to return as head coach because they couldn't get certain games approved and so I don't know where the non-conference sits next year I'm sure there was already a few games in writing and in contract that Schwartz will have to um, you know I guess he'll have to assume upon taking the job and you know he'll have more influence on under future schedules in that regard but I do think that there is a chance for sure that ECU plays an empty if they did get locked into the one that Dooley had them previously uh, so again I'll check on that John and we'll, we'll let you know as soon as I hear something on a future podcast uh, Destry wants to know any word on how the returning players particularly Tristan are taking their initial conversations with the new head coach what are the odds the good group of young guys return to ECU the odds of the entire I guess the nucleus that you would hope returns, let's say Tristan Newton, Brandon Suggs, R.J. Felton, you know, Alexis Reyes showed some flashes, Brandon Johnson showed some flashes as a young guy, Tremont Robinson White has a year of eligibility left. The realistic chances of all six of those guys returning, probably slim. They were slim with Joe Dooley as the coach, just the way college basketball works. They're probably slim with Mike Schwartz taking over as the head coach. You've got different philosophies. You've got to make room for certain guys to come in if you're Schwartz and his staff in terms of adding to the roster. And so, and now you've got guys who are getting pulled in different directions. So it's just, it's it's tough to imagine all those guys coming back. Realistically, you're probably looking at, I don't know, 50 to 60% of those guys coming back. Maybe the majority, all but one or two if you're lucky. It all depends on what Schwartz wants to do, and then it all depends on what the guys want to do. So I will say I've, I've, I've talked with some player sources, and the initial feedback from Schwartz is, is good. I mean, they're excited about you know the success Tennessee has had. They, they don't really know much about him, but they really seem impressed, at least a few guys I've talked to, with the initial conversations. They liked his energy, his vision for the program, and I think that will only continue to evolve and improve in the coming days. But – Again, these things are extremely fluid. They, you know, by the time I'm done recording this podcast, things will be different with each guy in terms of what they're hearing, what they might be feeling. So it'll it'll all be worked out in the coming weeks, and we'll, you know, I think the better way to cover it more so than just continue to speculate on it, unless we get legitimate info, is just how does this affect the roster going forward once it happens or it doesn't happen, and kind of what the holes are once we start to get a better picture of who's leaving, who's coming back in the months ahead. Uh, ECU Brad says, what's the deal with Josh Moylan? 
So Josh Moreland has not appeared in, in the last handful of games. He was not on the trip to Charleston per my sources. Have not confirmed what the reasoning behind that is. I've heard mixed things. I've heard it was discipline related. I heard it was not discipline related and that he just needed some time off or wanted a break. So I don't know how it's being termed, but he was not with the team this weekend. Um, it sounds like the expectation is he will be back at some point this week, just not sure when. So, you know, Josh Mullen was struggling. He was drawing some walks, but just not making enough contact, enough consistent contact. And, you know, maybe a, a little break, a little time to reset will do him some good. But, yeah, interesting situation there. We'll continue to keep you monitored um, going forward on the, the status of the ECU first baseman. Uh, Rohan wants to know any word on Mike Schwartz staff hirings, anyone we know. Still early in the process. I don't think anyone has been hired yet. And again, with him just starting and getting the town on Tuesday or Wednesday, and then everything having to be approved after that, it'll probably be at least a week or two before we get like official word on somebody. I think he'll probably have, I would think, you know, usually get your first guy in place pretty early. I'm sure he has somebody in mind. Actually, the, the director of development on Tennessee's staff, I don't know his name off the top of my head because I don't have that in front of me. He's a North Carolina native, coach at Lenore Ryan, App State. He's from Hickory. He's been an assistant coach before. He's now the development guy under Rick Barnes. He's worked with Schwartz. I would, I would think if there's a good relationship there that he might would look into bringing him to ECU if there's mutual interest. Um, but as of right now, we don't have any names and with Schwartz having been so many different places, I really need to go through. I just haven't had time to do it. I really need to go through a map who he's worked with at all his different stops and who could be a viable candidate to join him at East Carolina. Similar similar lines here with the next question. Are there players from Tennessee that might come here with Schwartz? I think that's definitely a possibility, something to look for. Uh, Victor Bailey is the one that I'm going to keep an eye on. He is a former Oregon transfer, has played some pretty significant minutes over time for Tennessee, and I don't have any inside scoop on this, but a Tennessee poster actually came over to the site and said, hey, keep an eye on Victor Bailey. He's a uh, senior guard, 6'4", 180. He's got a year of eligibility remaining. His time has kind of dwindled a little bit at Tennessee, you know, but he scored nearly 1,000 points in his career, and... um you know, is a guy that has been a contributor at Oregon, at Tennessee, and he could come to ECU and be a guy, 6'4 guard. So I'm going to keep an eye on him and see what his status is with a year of eligibility remaining. If he's got a good relationship with Schwartz, maybe he follows him to ECU. You've also got the younger guys on Tennessee's roster I honestly don't know much about. We'll keep an eye on those. And then you've got guys that Schwartz recruited to Tennessee that didn't come to Tennessee and they could be other places, didn't play a lot their first year, first couple years there, and could want to follow Schwartz to ECU. So they'll be hitting this thing from a number of angles in the days to come, and I'm sure we'll hear some names before too long. All right, Preston wants to know, what is the amount of funding for basketball assistant coaching pool to be average in the new AAC? What were specific promises to Dooley that went unfulfilled? So the, the promises, I mean, it was just, it was a little stuff that added up. Stuff around the coaches' offices from what I heard. Pictures that were from 2014 before he even got there that were never replaced. Um, you know, there's, we, we've heard about practice basketballs. I don't know how accurate that is in terms of Dooley not having enough practice balls. We, we heard that there was a shot clock issue this past year in the first semester where one of the goals in the indoor practice facility, the shot clock, was broken, and it took them all semester to fix. So ECU had to practice game situations under one goal, which if that is legitimately true, that is sad. Um, again, this, these are just things we've heard. Uh, charter flights, we were told they would get charter flights to every game. Dooley was upon taking the job. They've made progress. They've done chartered flights to weekday games. And weekend were uh, were commercial flights. The other thing was the, the APR thing, which wasn't. I don't know if you can call that a promise from Dave Hart because you got to remember Dave Hart hired Joe Dooley in April of 2018, and John Gilbert was not hired until December of that year. So Joe Dooley said that he did not know about the APR issues 
upon taking the job and that if he did know about them, he would not have taken the job. And the issue was the APR scores were so low and you had some guys leaving the program due to drug and academic problems that essentially Joe Dooley could not bring in a grad transfer that first year. You got to remember at that time, undergrad transfers were not eligible to play right away. And so many people said, hey, who are we going to bring in to improve the team right away? Well, if ECU brought in a grad transfer and that person didn't go to class, as many grad transfers do, then you get dinged with an APR point. At that point, ECU would lose scholarships, be ineligible for postseason play, etc. It would not have been a good look on the program. So it really took Joe Dooley the first two years of his tenure just to get the APR in good standing. And then they started to bring in transfers. They started to bring in Vance Jackson, etc. And that's kind of where a lot of the frustration came from because Dooley had to fix a lot of issues upon taking the job. He fixed them, which gives the program to Schwartz in much better shape. As far as the amount of funding for basketball assistant coaching pool, I don't have that exact number. I do know that ECU is at the bottom of the league in basketball budget and a basketball assistant pay. They did make some strides under Dooley. Um, You know, Dooley hired really good staffs. I mean, he had Antoine Jackson... Rockford, he hired uh, both those guys away from Virginia Tech. He hired uh, Steve DeMeo, who's one of the more successful JUCO country, uh, coaches in the country the past few years. So, ton of you know, ton of of quality coaches he brought in with the assistant pool he had. So you can hire quality coaches here, and certainly you would like to improve that number. I don't know where it is. Once the assistants are hired, I'll request the the contracts and total what the number is compared to what Dooley's pool was, and we'll see if there's any progress. But I would assume it'll stay around the same number. You know, you're not just going to hire a new coach and have a bunch of extra money to play with. You know, the, the budget is what it is. Football has one more, but until season ticket prices or season ticket sales increase, I just don't think you're going to see a huge drastic boost in any sport you know, they're already boosting up football pay, and they got to pay for that somehow. So uh, I don't see them uplifting a bunch of basketball pay for assistance in, anytime soon until the wins start to come in football and the, the season ticket sales start to increase in football and there's a trickle-down effect. But, again, I don't have that exact info, and I will do my best to find that, you know, as public information once the contracts are signed and filed. So I'll have that at some point in the coming weeks. All right, our last question of our question segment comes from Skull Pirate. He says, does it take a regular season championship or a conference title, tourney title for the Pirates to make postseason play now in baseball? You know, I'm not going to go that far. I I think with the strength of schedule, if ECU finishes, let's say, second in the American Conference, you know, wins the majority of their series, gets a couple midweek quality wins, you know, doesn't have any really embarrassing losses outside of maybe the Bryant series. I think ECU's got enough of a reputation and the strength of schedule will be there to get them in. Now, if you want to ensure yourself a spot, even with a spotty record, if you win a conference title regular season, even if the Americans are a little down, I think that's probably going to get you in unless your RPI or your other metrics are just terrible. Uh, obviously, a conference tournament is an automatic bid, so if you get that, you definitely get in. But I, I think the strength of schedule is there enough for a VCU. Let's say they finish in the mid-30s in terms of wins. Don't get to that upper 30-40 mark. I think as long as they don't go two and out in the conference tourney, and as long as they get a marquee series win, let's say go to Tulane and win that series or or beat whoever the second or third team in the conference is or whoever the champion is if it's not ECU, I think they'll be in okay shape. But there's, you know, there's a viable possibility if they struggle in conference play for sure that they're not going to make the postseason for just the second time in the Cliff Goblin era. But the most important thing they can do right now, have a winning week, get back on track. VCU has the potential to be a very quality series win. I think they're a little bit over 500 right now, but they can go out and win the Atlantic 10. I think they won that last year. They were at least one of the better teams from that conference. So, uh, this is a chance this weekend for another quality series win to wrap up non-conference weekend play. And then you go on the road to Cincinnati the next weekend to start conference play. So chance to make up for the College of Charleston series. We'll see what happens this weekend. But I think I think it's too early. 20 games out of 56, not even at the halfway point. RPI is starting to take a little bit of shape, but I think another week or two we'll really start to understand. And ECU I think is in the top 100 
close to the 80 range, 70, 80 range, and so they're in a decent spot compared to the rest of the league. And somebody from the league is going to get in, probably two teams. You know, the American usually gets at least two or three, sometimes four, although two or three seems more likely this year. Uh, but we'll see how it plays out. A lot to play for every game right now for ECU, and they got to start to have some urgency for sure. All right, that'll do it for our questions. Thank you guys again for tuning in and asking all those good questions and uh, helps flow the show along, give us something to talk about, uh, as always. All right, on the other side, we will do our first get-to-know-the-poster segment on Hoist the Colors, and that'll be fun as we kick off a new segment on the Hoist the Colors podcast. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back into the Hoist the Colors podcast. I am excited about our next segment we're going to do. we got to come up with a name for this segment. We're just going to call it Get to Know the poster for now and our first poster ever featured on the segment is butner pirate 25 welcome into the program man uh, i know you've been with us a long time so uh welcome in well thanks for having me glad to be here yeah I'm, I'm excited for uh for pirate nation to get to know the the i don't know if the faces behind the usernames the right word because nobody can see you on a podcast i can see you over zoom but uh We'll, uh, we're just going to go through some easy questions, kind of get to know you, and um, we'll start first with your, your real name. If you if you want to share it, you can. If not, if you want to stay anonymous as Butner Pirate 25 you can, but uh, let's hear your name if you, if you want to share it. Sure, it's uh, Scott Lorbatcher. Okay. Lorbatcher. See, I thought it was Lorbacher, so I'm glad that we already had you pronounce Everybody it. always does. It, it's very, very common. Well, I'm a yeah. Stephen Igo gets mispronounced every single day of my oh, life, sure. so I'm I'm with you. I've got an ego, igloo, somehow got igloo. So uh, so here we are. All right, so Butner Pirate Twenty Five is your username. Uh, what's the meaning behind it? We'll start with some some controversy immediately. Is that I haven't lived in Butner in like ten years. So, but I grew up in Butner. I spent the majority of my life in Butner. Uh, I live in Apex now. So. Butner Pirate is all a fake, so it's it just never changed it from from when I lived in Butner until now. So it's Butner's where I grew up. Twenty five was uh, my high school jersey number. So and Pirates, obvious, but yeah. So breaking news on on the first show is Butner Pirate is a fraud. He doesn't live in <laughs> Butner at all. Well, at least you do have like an origin there. You know, it'd be one yeah. thing if you're just like making up cities that you never lived yeah. in or didn't grow up in. So. No, I think that's fair, man. Um, so, all right. So, if if people are familiar with Hoist the Colors, they know that you follow like the college baseball scene as, as closely as anybody. Um, and you know what? You know, we got some more questions here, but I'm kind of di- di- diverting a little bit. You know what? What gets you so much into college baseball and like kind of you know you even inform me on like the upsets that are happening across the country following the top twenty-five. You kind of predict the top twenty-five sometime for D one baseball. What kind of got you uh, into that? Sure. Yeah. So I stopped doing the predictions as of this week because uh, there was no point in uh, doing it with with in regards to us. So uh, yeah, I just I played high school baseball growing up. I had a, a couple friends that played college ball none at ECU but um so I've just always loved college baseball more I try to go to as many games as I can uh, my father-in-law is a season ticket holder at NC State so I go to those games with him 
uh, and just enjoy watching the game. And now with ESPN Plus, we can watch so many more college baseball games on Friday and Saturday night. I'll stay up until one watching, you know, some random West Coast Conference games. And it's just fun to try to, to get in the, the heads of Aaron Fitt and Kendall Rogers and, and the rest of the crew over there and try to predict what they're going to put in their top 25. So it's just a fun thing I like to do. started doing it last year when I was living with my in-laws while we were searching for a house. So, and I was stuck in their office and that was the only space I had that was really like where I could be. And I was like, I would just stay up there and just go through you know, Warren Nolan's website and look at RPI. I would, um, you know, go through Kendall and Aaron and Eric Sorensen's tweets to see kind of who they were liking that week, who they were talking about, what games they went to. Because, you know, when you see a team in person, it's a lot easier to put them in your top 25 because you feel like, okay, I saw them. They're really good. So they'd have a little bit more leniency to a team they had recently seen, picked up on that. So I just kind of just love baseball, love baseball all my life. And so college baseball, I just kind of latched on to And that's, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on early on is just because, you know, I respect posters that put time into it and obviously do a lot of research. And you're one of those guys. Anybody can get on a message board and throw a bunch of crap against the wall and just get up there and troll. So, uh, you know, you do good work, man. I, you know, even as a writer, I appreciate what you do. Um, you know, we've had some DM conversations in the past about random stuff. So I enjoy the back and forth, man. All right, so let's get back on track here. My fault. Uh, we, we digress. Uh, how did you find Hoist the Colors? Uh, do you remember? Did you just pop on it one day, or how did you find it? I don't remember how I found it, but I do remember what made me sign up for VIP. And it was, I think, the Nike black uniform reveal. And I think you had, like, a picture early, and I was like, I will spend the money to see that. And like, I've been a VIP member since, but I was just like, I need to see these uniforms. I was like, I have to find out. I need to see what they look like. I was like, you know, back and forth on whether or not I wanted to sign up for it. And then that just like sold me immediately. And I was like, all right, I'm in now. There are, man, I get the question um, from like other people that work in media. Why do you spend so much time talking about uniforms? I'm like, people love uniforms, man. It's it's a big deal. And, uh, hey, I'm glad. I can't remember how I got that scoop, but I do remember that Shelly Benninger and Jeff Comfer at the time were pissed that we leaked the black uniforms. So I'm glad that I did it, and I'm glad that you signed up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right, favorite poster on Hoist the Colors to read? I don't know if anybody jumps to mind. You can can throw out multiple uh, if if you want to, but anybody come to mind as your favorite poster on Hoist the Colors? So, so I, I didn't play football growing up, so I don't really have the background there. So I, I really enjoy reading uh, the stuff that Brett posts about it. And, and Pirate Backer, too. I like like his insights. Uh, Tick from back in the day, he, he would always have really, really good insights. Um, as far as just a, if, to see a random post and get excited about what I'm about to read, uh, Buck Wild. Anytime he posts, I'm like, let me know what this guy has got going on today. That guy's crazy, man, and he's—he is actually. So I threw out the idea of getting you guys on the show. Buck Wild has now started his own podcast, so I'm gonna have to get him on my slap podcast. Your mama podcast. I know yeah. the Slap Your Mama podcast. Wow, I'm gonna have to get him on our podcast because uh, he's gonna be the celebrity. Uh, gosh, man, and I'm gonna have to go on his podcast, I guess. But nah, he's—he's—he's uh, he's, he's an interesting one for sure. Um, man, you brought us some good names, though, Tick. You know, I've, I've DM'd and I've emailed Tick a little bit. I don't want to say DM because I think I've just emailed him. But he, uh, I know he's been busy, but he, he follows the program. He's he's as knowledgeable as any poster, though, for those longtime Hoist the Colors members like yourself. He can bring some, uh, some info. So I hope he comes back this football season. All right, least favorite poster. If you if you want to stay away, you, you don't have to throw anybody under the bus. But uh, do you, do you have anybody in this category? The person I name is is banned, so I don't feel bad about throwing them under the bus. And I, I've met them in person. I, I know them, and they would probably laugh about this. But I'll say, uh, Voss Frost is uh <laughs> is my my buddy. Voss Frost is uh oh, I'll throw him out there just because I know he won't be offended. Yeah, he uh man, he trolled me really good one time, which is what I think got him banned. And uh, I'm sure <laughs> one of my friends who posts on the site, he has a uh, <laughs> it's it's so messed up, but. He used to have a profile picture of Voss Frost, like the actual person, <laughs> as his profile picture. 
maybe one day I'll let him back if he can behave himself a little bit. He's probably still no up, chance. He's probably still no under chance. under a, a pseudonym or something. But yeah, Voss Frost and uh, Super Regional Dreaming or whatever his name is, uh, they love to uh, they love to poke the bear. But it's all in good fun. Oh, for sure. Um, all right, favorite. You know, we kind of hit on this earlier. Favorite ECU sports topic to discuss. I'm guessing is Pirate Baseball. For sure, uh, yeah, I, I love the time two or three weeks before the end of the season, when especially you know the last couple of years when we've been on that fringe of, are we a national seed? Are we a regional host? Who's coming? You know, one of the things we talk about sometimes is if you look at um, Perfect Game, they almost always, or sorry, not Perfect Game, Baseball America, they always want to say. Well, if ECU hosts, they're going to have an SEC team, an ACC team, and then a local, you know, big South school or school like that. And so it's fun to try to predict, you know, who might be coming to our regional? What are the seeds going to be? Who are we going to be paired up with? I love that that conversation. You know, the top 25 stuff, I, I really like that, especially when we're in the mix, you know, looking at the five teams above us and, and who they play next week and – can we move up any further than that? How far would we fall if we lost the series? You know, unfortunately this year, it's how do we get back in? And I, it, I mean, I think we have to win every game for four weeks probably to have, to get really back in the conversation or only have one or two losses. But yeah, any, anything that has to do with college baseball and the top 25 and, you know, cool places to play in the SEC or ACC or wherever, you know, road games, stuff like that. Love talking about college baseball venues, top 25, anything really with college baseball. Lots of good stuff. Button Pirate 25. Check out his thread on uh, Hoist of Colors. Does a great job with that thread. Uh, we might have to get you back on the show when we talk like regionals later in the year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, to honestly just have you on as a co-host because <laughs> um, <laughs> you do a great job. All right, how did you become an ECU fan? Uh, so – it's a little bit twofold. So my, my cousin Jack played golf at ECU in 2002. That was probably my first exposure to ECU. Um, I grew up in Butner's. So it's an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes away. It's north of Durham, heart of ACC country. So everybody at school was an, an ACC fan, was, except for um, actually my roommate and best friend who I roomed with my freshman and sophomore year at ECU was an ECU fan. And so he was going to ECU. And I was like, I want to go to school with him. We've been best friends all our life. So we went to school. And the first game at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium in 2006, we played Memphis. And when the Purple Smoke came out, Purple Haze started playing, I was hooked. Like, that, that was it. Like, it was all ECU from then on. I've been nothing but a pirate since. I think I remember you said 2006, right? 2006, yeah. So that was the Skip Holtz. I think they had two pick sixes that game. I was a little kid. That was a yeah. That was a fun game early in the Skip Holtz era. Um, I remember. Yeah. The first chant that I remember hearing at ECU was "No Mo D'Angelo," because D'Angelo Williams had just gotten drafted by the Panthers. So that that was like I was like, man, this is awesome. Like I was like, I because my high school football team. I mean, they could have not existed. Um, <laughs> nobody went to the games, and when you did, nobody paid attention. So it was like my first experience at like a big college football game. I was this is awesome. This is better than anything I've ever been to. Nothing beats Dowdy Ficklin Stadium when it's packed, man. And hopefully September 3rd we get that against NC State. All right, favorite ECU athlete of all time? Are you, are you sticking baseball here, or are you going in another direction? So – I did write some names down just because I was like, I'll be remiss if I don't, if I don't mention this. Kyle Roller was probably my first favorite player at ECU. Um, James Legan. I love James Legan. I, it just, he was, he was my era of ECU basketball. He was the most exciting thing we had at the time. Um, Dwayne Harris will forever be probably my favorite football player. Um, and then some other names I'd throw out would be uh, Darius Morrow and um, Quentin Cotton. That's a great list right there because you have like some obvious, you know, you, not obvious greats, but yes, some like off the radar greats too. Because Quentin Cotton is one of my favorite players. If he wouldn't have gotten hurt, he was a stud. Um, James Legan, man, he could light it up on some pretty bad ECU teams. So <laughs> he was awesome. He was like the best player on a terrible team, but you know that's pretty much every good ECU basketball player, sadly. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, that's a really good list. I like that. And yeah, seventeen, Dwayne Harris. 
probably honestly my favorite ECU athlete I grew up watching just because of the way he played. He was he was tough as nails. All right, so that does it for the questions. We got a few minutes. We'll, we'll let's let's have a baseball discussion, Scott. You know baseball. Um, we could talk about the Cincinnati Reds, but I don't want to do that to you. No, thanks. thanks for uh, for Winker, by the way, and and Suarez. Oh, yeah. and- Orange, yeah. yeah, as a Mariners fan, I'm I'm happy about that. Um, but let, let's talk about the Pirates, man. Just your take on, like I think we all kind of knew at some point this team isn't going to host a regional every year, and you know, barring some type of crazy run, it might not be this year. But uh, just what are your thoughts on the ten and ten start? What have you seen thus far from Cliff Goblin's club? Any any takeaways? I think our base running has left a lot to be desired uh, this year. Uh, I think. We have some really aggressive guys on the base path, and in past it's worked out for us. The teams we've been playing this year, you know, I don't know if it's the the extra year that a lot of guys have gotten with COVID, but defensively teams have been more sound, and you know we've gotten guys thrown out at home, uh, timely hitting. I mean, I don't know how many times we've had two on, you know, one out, no out, and not gotten a guy in. Um, one thing we talked about in the game thread um, this past weekend was. Um, shut down innings after we score. You know, when we score, whether it's one or two or however many, and then the other team comes up and they score, it takes all the momentum away from us and back to them because they feel like they've clawed back. It's sometimes it's better to score second because you feel like you have the momentum. You feel like everything's on your side. Um, starting pitching hasn't hasn't been great outside of Cooch, really. Um, can't get guys going deep into games, um, you know, it's been a struggle from the fifth inning to bridge the gap to where our big bullpen guys could come in. Um, and, you know, not having Wizen Hunt is, is probably cost us every series we've lost this year, I would say. Um, I think, you know, if obviously the Bryant series is such an aberration where Friday night went everything wrong as possible. Saturday we won. I mean, in all, you know, we yeah. won. Um and then UNC, we played so bad those first three innings on Friday night that we couldn't play ourselves back into it. And then, you know, we ended up winning on Sunday. And then this past weekend, uh, it just felt like our bullpen could never catch its breath. And that, and I think that's been our biggest issue is we don't get timely hits. Our bullpen has been really overworked. And we don't have a lot of power in the offense this year, unfortunately. Yeah, it's it seems like, you know, and, and I agree with everything you said, it's like there's there's no one the thing that concerns me most is there's no one specific area that hey, if we fix this right. we're gonna be like on the, the right track. So I feel like there's a lot of things that needs to be corrected. Cliff Goblin said all year to his credit, he's like, We just gotta keep getting better. Even when they won the series against Saint Mary's and swept the little care classic, they just haven't played clean baseball for for much of the year. Maybe two games it feels like maybe they did, but like outside of that it's just been Guys being thrown out, not getting five, six innings from your starter. You know, very rarely does do you just go to one or two bullpen guys. I mean, Sailor and Spivey have been great, but Mayhew's for whatever reason is taking a step back. So it just feels like consistency. And to me, it all starts with Wizenhunt. Like that, just kind of. I think they've moved past that as a team now, but I still feel like it kind of lingers, and it definitely lingered early in the season. Not having that Friday night guy to go out there and give you six, seven innings on Friday. Instead, that's Cooch Manor, and then you don't have anything the rest of the weekend. So it just kind of – I think it's just compounding. But do, do you have faith that this team can figure it out, you know, with Cliff Goblin at, at the helm? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think our out-of-conference schedule – and this is something that I think has been true of ECU baseball for as long as I've followed it – is our difficult that when we get to conference play, it's almost like taking a – breath of air you know you look around the conference and memphis is not very good um houston you know i think they lost to an ivy league school the other night um and good but they've they've been like us where they show flashes but at times it's they they've disappeared too so the conference is wide open i wish the two lanes series was in greenville and not in new orleans um, maybe we'll just kidnap Corey Glore while we're down there so we can bring his good luck back or something. But um, I, I absolutely, I think we could still win the conference. And winning the conference in the regular season 
I mean, I think if we win, win the conference, we're a two seed. I think if we don't win the conference, you know, maybe we're a three or maybe we're a two at a, at a national seed where it's going to be a, a lot more difficult for us to advance to a super regional again. But I've always maintained that the year we go to Omaha is the year nobody expects. So maybe that's this year. Who knows? There's 20 games. We're 20 games in, 36 games left in the regular season. So still a lot of ball up to play. Uh, like Cliff Galvin said, it's it's early, but it's starting to get you know to crunch time. So interesting week ahead, five games. Scott, this has been a blast, man. I appreciate you hopping on, and uh, we'll get you on again. I'm serious. Once we start to get to late in the season, we'll, we'll get you on and just talk ball, man, because uh, you obviously know your stuff. So I appreciate it, and, and thanks for your support on Hoist the Colors, man. It means a lot. Can't oh, yeah. do, can't do it without you guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. Anytime you want me on, I'm, I'm glad to hop on. You know, I got this uh, this pirate wallpaper behind me that my wife put up in my office. So if you ever do want to have video, I got a cool background for everybody. That's legit, my man. Super proud of that. Yeah, that, that, super proud of that. Like that popped up. I'm like, dang, man, this guy's more official than I am. Like, <laughs> no, that's that's cool. I got a hoist the colors poster right here. Let me, let me pull it out that I have not hung up yet. So I need to do that. Um, oh, I'll send her to your house to hang it up so she'll stop trying to get us to do stuff around here. <laughs> hey, sounds perfect. We'll knock, knock out two birds with one stone. All right, Scott. There you go. We'll, uh, we'll get you on again, man. Appreciate it once again, and uh, we'll talk to you down the line. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, that's Butner Pirate 25, Scott Lorbatcher, our first get-to-know-the-Pirates guests. And that'll do it for the podcast. We will join you guys later in the week. We'll talk some basketball, baseball, and football. You've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.